Hey, welcome to Humboldt Last Week. My name is Miles Cochran. This features highlights from Humboldt's last seven days of news when you want it. On your commute, on a walk, while you exercise, while you work, anytime. Thanks a ton for checking us out on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and at KimKemp.com. And please do like Humboldt Last Week on Facebook if you haven't already. This week, I'm so excited to bring on Hank Sims, editor of the Lost Coast Outpost. He's going to talk about some of their big stories from last week. But first, we'll delve into some other happenings. We had a 6.5 magnitude earthquake strike off the coast of Ferndale. It was pretty far out in the ocean, so it didn't impact us much. Got a lot of big media attention, though, huh? The Chronicle wrote about no immediate reports of damage and no tsunami warning. Even as far south as San Fran, BART had all their trains slow down so they could check things out, which is protocol. And a lot of people checking in safe on Facebook. The only thing I wasn't safe from were those damn notifications. Disney's upcoming remake of A Wrinkle in Time shot scenes in Humboldt County in two locations over five days. Cha-ching! Channel 3 reported that film commissioner Cassandra Hesseltine estimated the movie spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in the area. Well, check it out. The Mary Jane map, the Times Standard, put out an article on how certain areas of Humboldt voted on marijuana legalization. Unlike last time around, this time you probably know the majority of Humboldt voted to legalize. Now, can you guess which areas of Humboldt had a majority of voters say no to legalization? That'd be Southern Humboldt, Fortuna, and Willow Creek. I liked this place. After five years, the local beer bar in Eureka will be no more. In a release for an event they're hosting on the 31st, they wrote, Beers we used to drive 15 or more hours to pick up are now available at your local gas station, which is fantastic. So sometime after the new year, the space near Domino's over there in Eureka is going to feature a second tap room for Humboldt Cider Company. Maybe you know the folks that own the local are also behind that fruity goodness. Cheers to good times at the local beer bar. This is nice. The Humboldt Ice Rink in Fortuna is hosting a day when off-duty cops, firefighters, EMTs, first responders, and people in the military and their families can skate for free. It's awesome. This is happening on the 13th from 2 to 8 p.m. at the Ice Rink in Newburgh Park in Fortuna. You can find out details at HumboldtIceRink.com. I have to figure out if I'm going to make a fool of myself over there again soon. It's an ice ice maybe. Well, the Johnstein Company in McKinleyville is getting national attention after Parade Magazine named one of their Redwood Tree Kits one of their best Made in America gifts. With these kits, they supply the seed, a mini greenhouse, and instructions on how to grow your Redwood Tree. Owners told Channel 3 they've seen an uptick in business since this article came out. I uh, posted a link to that in the Humboldt Last Week Facebook if you want to check it out. All right, and now for some additional stories. Joining us is Hank Sims, editor of the Lost Coast Outpost. Welcome, Hank. Thank you, Miles. Hey, thanks for your time. Thanks for doing this on a weekend. Sure. I'm going to hop in with a serious one. There is this incident where John Goldberg is accused of killing a man who is having an affair with his wife. Uh, Last week, Lost Coast Outpost reported some new details on that case. So in addition to being charged with murder, Goldberg is also accused of assaulting his wife before he shot Tim Smith. That's one detail. And then his lawyer said when he was going to the crime scene, he was not expecting Tim to be there, but instead just to talk to the wife. So he may have been surprised. And then the third detail that his lawyer also mentioned is that Tim Smith may have had guns in his truck. Hank, What are your thoughts on this case after considering these new details that were brought to light in Loco's coverage last week? 
Well, I don't know. I mean, I suppose my my thoughts haven't changed that much. It doesn't seem like there's that much to think about. It seems like a sad, senseless, terrible thing that happened down there in Fortuna. The courts will proceed as they will, and the case will proceed as it will. Our Rhonda Parker, who writes about courts for us, she went to the preliminary hearing this last week. And yeah, what she was saying is that the questions that you raised that came up from his lawyers, it looked like this is a pretrial hearing, so it's not, you know, things aren't underway yet. But it gave a sort of sense of what the defense's case would be in this incident. If he's accused of assaulting his wife, that hurts his likability whenever it comes to a judge and jury. If he may not have known the victim would be at the crime scene, that brings up the possibility of second-degree murder as a defense, do you think yeah, you say? Yeah, I think that's what Rhonda is getting at here, is that it's the difference between premeditated murder and non-premeditated. Like you had mentioned before, just a very sad case. It's important to remember these people have families that are never going to stop hurting because of this. And maybe as a community, we should give them space, let them come to us if they want to talk about all that. There's a tendency that I try to resist of sensationalizing these kind of things and playing them up too much. Um, there are obviously matters of interest. Tim Smith, the victim in this case, was a beloved member of the community. And so people are obviously interested in what you know happened and what will happen to his accused killer and their families. So you know, it's something that we have to cover, but you know, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that it's just sad and terrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Moving on from that one, a few years ago, a couple of guys from McKinleyville were wrongly pulled over in Iowa. They had a hundred grand of poker winnings confiscated from them by the police just because they had a tiny amount of weed. Then their houses in Humboldt were raided, and the cops found an additional 50 pounds of the devil's harvest, the skunky funky. So uh, these guys sued the state of Iowa, and they won. They got 160000 bucks back, right? Yeah, they got something, something uh, maybe 150. They got 90% of the $100,000 that had been confiscated from them to begin with, and then an additional $60,000 in, in damages. Uh, it's a pretty amazing story, and it's one that had a little bit of national profile since it happened back in 2013. There have been, in recent years, the sort of wave of interest in asset forfeiture cases. It's called civil asset forfeiture. The police will take the property that they believe to have have been you know gotten through means and keep it without bringing any criminal charges against you and that's what happened in this case and you know it's right at the time when this subject had been starting to gain a lot of national attention partly because of this case they showed to the state of iowa that they were going around from state to state playing in a world series of poker qualifying events and they said that this was their bankroll this hundred thousand dollars in cash Mm -hmm. but the cops weren't having it and and yeah they sued iowa uh and won and they got a lot of press out of it from the Washington Post, from Reason Magazine, lots of places. Well, it's such a huge settlement. Do you believe this was the case or one of the main cases that tipped the scales for Iowa to pull back on asset forfeiture? It seems to be. So yeah, what happened this last week as the state of Iowa settled the case brought by these two local guys, they at the same time disbanded the unit, the state police unit, state trooper unit, the equivalent of RCAP, that was uh, set up to do these kind of cases to drug interdiction cases. They disbanded it completely. And though the state of Iowa said that it's not related, all the coverage I've seen from Iowa said that, no, it's not related. We're, we're doing this anyway. 
I mean, the timing was interesting. It was the very same day. Here in Humboldt County, we've been having this for a long time. The sheriff's office gets some portion of its budget from asset forfeiture cases. It goes into the general fund here in Humboldt County, and it goes to the district attorney's office and the sheriff's office, law enforcement uh, offices. So looking back, it's like $150,000 a year in the last few years, which isn't a whole lot. Uh, I believe they used to, to get more from these kind of cases, but uh, it's not an insignificant chunk of cash. Staying in the law enforcement realm, this guy from Southern Humboldt who was shot by the cops in downtown Eureka is likely going to survive after officers followed this guy into the Best Western parking lot. He ran, and with a gun, he was jumping over fences. He stole another car, basically went all out Grand Theft Auto, allegedly. And I was over there around then. It was a heck of a scene. Were you there, Hank? I got there a little bit later. Our reporters went down, and I was, I was manning the helm at the time. But uh, yeah, it was crazy. Somebody from the Eureka Police Department told me the other day, it's the largest crime scene you know, that they can think of in, in recent memory, especially one involving an, uh, an officer-involved shooting. You know, it was like six blocks or something that this chase happened. It was chaos. Yeah, and blocking off part of 101, huge crime scene. Witnesses say once this guy ditched the stolen car, he aimed his gun at police, and then he was shot down. Now, we don't know if he actually fired his own gun. And then four cops are on leave while they uh, investigate what happened, which is protocol. During his press conference, Eureka Police Chief Andy Mills said this is the city's second officer-involved shooting in the last six years. How does that resonate with you, Hank, whenever considering coverage of uh, Eureka crime over the years? Well, it seems like it's a lot less than it used to be. I mean, I'm thinking back now, you know, 10 years or so, but a long time Humboldt County residents will remember there was a moment in the mid-2000s when uh, Eureka police fired their weapons at suspects a lot more often. Uh, There was six officer-involved shootings at one point in in the space of like 18 months. So it seems as though that uh, a lot of reform has been made. Yeah. So what are you most interested in finding out as this particular investigation develops? It looks as though, in this case, the suspect did not fire his weapon. Thad Greenson of the North Coast Journal had an interesting bit uh, yesterday, an interesting story, talking with Chief Andy Mills. And I guess it looked as though officers fired more than 40 times upon the suspect and looks as though the suspect had not fired his weapon at all. Now, what Mills seems to suggest in this story with Thad Greenson is that the guy did not know how to operate his weapon because there was no bullet in the chamber. He never racked around in, is what Mills was saying. So what things are looking like is that he might have lifted the weapon, pointed it at people as he was running, but was not able to fire his weapon simply because he did not know how to operate it. I mean, I guess I will be interested to see as this case develops, like what specific threat police felt they were under as they chased this guy around. And uh, sort of also, will they determine that the officers acted according to their policy? Chief Mills promises a big internal investigation on this. And they have a civilian sort of review board now that looks at these cases. I'm going to be interested to see what the internal investigation into this incident produces. If what you say is correct, this individual just did not know how to operate his gun. How fortunate that he didn't (laughs) fire on police officers. Mm -hmm. So moving on to a little bit more positive news. There's a woman from Humboldt who's now a professional bodybuilder who owns an internationally successful clothing line. 
And yeah, it was like back in 1999, Courtney Olson, she was voted most likely to succeed at St. Bernard's before she was raped by her boxing instructor. And then her life kind of spiraled into one of alcohol and meth and opiate addiction. Uh, but along her journey, she became a bodybuilder. She finally kicked her addictions. And boy, back in 2011, video of her exploding watermelons with her thighs went viral. It was featured on Tosh.0 on Comedy Central. And then she's been on TV tons of times. Her clothing line is called Girl G-R-R-R-L. And that was worn by the MMA fighter who beat Ronda Rousey. So she's doing really well. Um, how did Loco come across that story? We saw a little item in the New York Post that mentioned that she was from Humboldt County and showed one of her videos of her uh, pressing a watermelon between her thighs and you know, with the strength of her thighs alone reducing the watermelon to pulp our john ross ferrara who started looking into it like started talking to her and discovered that she had just sort of an amazing background and you know so many twists and tails and he actually spent a lot of time talking with her and other people to do a longer piece on tosh point oh on other places you know look at this wow she can explode a watermelon with her thighs but it's actually a lot more interesting her life than that and so it was really fun we're really happy to, to, to write this story i loved reading that story i mean do you think there's a lot that and humble people that have overcome addiction to become successful like that oh well um you know it's it's i don't know i don't have any numbers but it's certainly nice to hear such stories isn't it yeah absolutely i mean hopefully it could inspire more of that more people realizing hey you know this is not the end i can go on to do very successful things um hank is there anything else that you want to add any other stories you want to highlight from your coverage last week yeah, I guess I'd point people, if they're interested, to Ryan Burns' really, really good story on situation at the VA clinic. Um, there's real problems with the veterans care in Humboldt County. Uh, we're down to one doctor uh, serving the entire population of veterans around the area. Ryan Burns went in and looked at that. There's some you know, People have a lot of complaints about this doctor. The VA acknowledges that they've received those complaints and are conducting an investigation. Yeah, it's a great story. I'm excited to delve into thank it more. You. Hank, thank you so much for your time, and thank you for uh, popping on and talking to me over the weekend. It's a great pleasure, Miles. Humble. Last week.